You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. It's five o'clock in the morning. You've just pissed on a dumpster. It's Miller time. Return to glory. We will not be intimidated. We will not back down. Let's go. All right. Welcome to Drink and Think with Jack and Dave. <laughs> Had a little brain fart there for a second, trying to figure out where I am. Hamster's not doing so good. It's been a rough week for Dave. Been a rough week. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll get into the, the the reason why. And it's basically because, you know, thank God that two Texas teams played each other so that one of them could win. Because the state of Texas is down bad this week, especially two of your near and dear teams. But yeah, man, uh, I'm super pumped to be here. We got a lot to talk about football and otherwise. So uh, let's dive into it. But before we do, let's talk about a beer. And what are you sipping? All right, so I got this when we were up in uh, Missouri the other day. Call Sign Brewing Company in Kansas City on the Missouri side. Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri. This one's on the Missouri side called Call Sign Brewing Company. This Extortion 17, which is pretty cool. Uh, so for those that aren't aware, Extortion 17 was the call sign of a Chinook helicopter that went down in Afghanistan. Uh, deadliest day in special operations history with the five crewmen from the 160th and I think 28 uh, naval special warfare operators that were killed in the crash. And this beer is in their honor. So cool, cool name you know, and cool beer. So I'll have to check out that brew. What's it taste like? It tastes good, man. It's like a, just a clean IPA. Uh, I think it's like 6.9%. So, you know, decent ABV. It's hoppy, but it's not, um, they're, they don't, they're not trying to do a whole lot with it. You know, it's, it's bitter, but it tastes good. And uh, yeah, this one is definitely growing on me. I like it a lot. Well, I admire the theme of that beer. Uh, and so I, I, I really feel bad about to, to overshadow your, your pick of the week for beer, but I have maybe one of the best beers on the entire freaking planet tonight and uh, shout out to my favorite mass hole. He sent me like 27 of these or something in a big box, no wrapping, no like foamies, nothing just sh- shoved into a box. There's dents all in these mother truckers. I don't know how they all didn't explode, but they made it from Massachusetts to Arkansas. And this is none other than the Julius. So mm-hmm. I've rated, I've rated three beer, <clears throat> five Oh on untapped. Um, that would be the switchback, the heady topper and the Julius. This is the Julius. This is a 6.8% New England hazy IPA, tropical as hell. This beer, I mean, it's like the Mecca. It is. And, and speaking of Mecca, it's made by uh, Treehouse Brewing Company. 
And they are so badass and like so high class and so top tier. They don't even distribute. You have to go to their brewery to get their beer. Wow. And then beyond that, they know their beer is so good. They put a limit on how much you can drink in their tap room because they don't want you to look like a fool. And so they limit alcohol sales in the place. And that's like, I don't know, to me, that says like, you're only going to let me drink two of these when I'm giving you free money. And they're like, yeah, the lines around the building, buddy, we don't care. And, and it is, it is that damn good. So big shout out to Treehouse and um, big shout out to Julius, man. I've got one waiting for you when I see you. So they're steadily, they're absolutely killing it. So it's pretty good. I like uh, that. I've never rated of, a beer five O's. Really? Yeah. Like four or five is the closest I've ever come. Dang. This one, this one could be the dude. It could do it. All right. So um, I was going to, I was going to poorly transition, you know, speaking of killing it, let's talk about some war and killing it in Armenia and Azerbaijan, but you know, poor taste. There you go. Um, so for those that don't know, uh, earlier this week, Armenia and Azerbaijan, they're getting at it again. First, They've had hold like on. A, You're oh. probably going to want to geographically like orientate on the globe. Uh, where is Armenia and where is Azerbaijan? Because a lot of people don't know. If I just don't you know, say anything right now, people think you're the jackass that says orientate. So, but yes, that is a low-key slight at DAC here. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so it sets, it borders Russia to the south east i want to say like very closely the tip of russia it sits like kind of underneath that hook uh, i haven't looked at a map in a hot damn minute you're the geography guy here am i close it is south of russia correct All right. south of russia as azerbaijan is and it's yeah. sandwiched between russia iran and turkey those are yeah, like real three real shithole real this awful place to live um, but quick backstory, I, I want to hit you with a question. Um, so they've had like a, you know, decade long standoff over Nagorno-Karabakh. Did I get that right? Yep, that's good. Close enough. Nagorno in, in the South Caucasus. And uh, sorry, I don't know why I did that. I, I was, I'm just, I'm here for you, buddy. You're doing great. There's a lot of All tough right. words in there. It is, man. I, hey, I'm not the geography guy, and I'm from Arkansas. Like, this is this is putting me to my test right now. All right, so long story short, they've been getting at it for a freaking decade. Their biggest clash is back in 2020. Funny enough, Russia kind of stepped in. It's like, hey, calm this down, guys. Well, they're back at it. Um, of note here, Russia is strongly allied with Armenia. Both of these two, you know, Countries were former states of the Soviet Union, and now they're they're poking each other, saying, "Hey, this dickhead started it." No, this dickhead started it. And now, you know, forty nine, uh, the Armenian prime minister is saying, "Like, hey, forty nine of our soldiers were killed by Azerbaijan." And so, my question to you is: one, like, what is your kind of take on this? Two, because of that that close allegiance between Russia and Armenia, does Russia get involved? And you know. Is this, you know, strategically, did Azerbaijan use this as like, hey, Russia's in a hot spot right now. Let's go get some land back. Yeah, so there, this has, you're right, this has been going on for a long time. Um, there is a question. That, so a lot of this 
goes around a similar thing that's happening in Ukraine, right? You have the the Nagorno-Karabakh region. It has a lot of ethnic ties. Uh, so Azerbaijan is also split. So part of it, like Armenia has a basically a piece of it that runs right through the middle of this thing. And that is a big middle finger to Azerbaijan. You also have ethnic, uh, right. other than that, you have religious ties. So Armenia is the reason it's tied to Russia is because they're Orthodox Christian, whereas Azerbaijan is uh, Muslim majority. So you got that going on. And then it's really, it's really also a uh, kind of a proxy war because you have Iran, which typically has sided with Azerbaijan and Turkey, uh, who are also kind of butting heads as to who can be the major power figure in there. Uh, I don't think Russia has a lot of issues, obviously, going on with uh, Ukraine. So my bet is they won't get involved unless they start seeing a huge flow of like refugees that come across the border uh, into Russia, where that would be an issue. I think they'll kind of let Iran and Turkey settle things. But this is going to be something that happens off and on uh, for, you know, into the future until this is settled once and for all on the battlefield, which is unfortunate for all the Azerbaijanis and Armenian uh, ethnic Armenians that live in the area. So this is one of those things. Hey, the world is a broken place and this is one of those broken places and it sucks. Yeah. And for everybody like, oh, my God, the the world's falling apart. Everyone's at war, world war three. Like, like we said, dude, these, these guys are, they've been going at it for a hot minute. And honestly, like if we dug into the amount of turmoil and the the different country beefs over there, the list goes on and on and on. So, but you know, they, they took their shot. I think that that was definitely like military militaristically devised, like, Hey, look, they're in a hole. Let's go get it. It's definitely something that could, so why does this matter to to drink and think nation out there? It's definitely something that if left unchecked could provoke a much larger response. So if Azerbaijan uh, actually went into Armenia and tried to take that little sliver of Armenia that separates the Azerbaijan country, uh, that would be a huge deal. That would instantly provoke Turkey and Iran to get into it. So that's kind of why it matters. Uh, it's not just two random countries getting after it. There's some other strategic issues. And Turkey is a member of NATO. So if Turkey Good tries point. to get into it with somebody, uh, the U.S. may have some uh, oblig- obligatory response uh, in defense of Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, we'll keep you in tune here. Um, I will say Pashinyan, the prime minister of Armenia, and Putin have talked. So, I mean, at least something's on the table with that. Yeah, not the last we probably hear of that. So, uh, but on to more bigger and brighter things, at least for our listeners and the American people. Um, Let's get into a little college football. So after last week, we won't get into your demise yet, but maybe we will. I want to know, you know, what are your, let's talk, let's talk AP top 25. What is, you know, overreaction, surprising, overrated, underrated. Like, where do you see everybody? Where would you have placed them? Yeah, I'll tell, so, you, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. I think Alabama should have fallen more. I agree. Uh, Alabama, obviously, 
going in to a Texas team that definitely showed a lot more spirit than people thought. Uh, and, and, you know, I was critical and have been critical on this podcast about Austin being not a huge college town. They, they definitely showed up, showed for, up, uh, showed up for the Alabama game, which Alabama is used to, right? Every, uh, every school shows up for Alabama. Uh, I did think there was some surprises uh, with Alabama. I thought Alabama should have probably fallen to about four with that, uh, with that style of victory. You know, really didn't see a whole lot out of them. I'm surprised Kentucky uh, moved. Kentucky moved up 11 spots to number nine with their victory over Florida. Uh, Kentucky, as I said uh, in our SEC thing that Kentucky is, you know, it's a, it's a big powerhouse. So definitely thought that was a big move, but I liked it. I thought I liked the Florida Kentucky game. Like that's the game we wanted to watch as a viewer, but it was sloppy. Yes. I mean, there was, I, I, I honestly, I expected more, you know, a little more clean of a game. Um, yeah. They, they jumped a shit ton and I didn't expect that either. Um, honestly, Homer, Homer discussion here. I'm surprised. I'm glad, but I'm very surprised Arkansas is in the top 10. Um, just as Arkansas being Arkansas, we, yeah, we beat a, a ranked Cincy team and then we beat South Carolina. Um, I expected, you know, a little more hesitancy on the voters to start pushing them into that higher rankings into the top 10. Glad to see it. Um, we won't move next week because we're playing old Bobby Petrino at home. Um, but yeah, we'll see where that goes from there. And then let's yeah. talk about your boys. Yeah. So uh, non-homer pick, non-homer pick. Should they be ranked right now? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. You're they, high. No, they, they absolutely should be ranked. They were number six. You can't knock them out of the entire top 25 because they lost. I mean, they had a bad loss for sure but you can't knock them out of the top 25 immediately. I mean, they already lost 19 spots. So I, I don't, I don't think like their number or 18 spots. So they're number 24. I don't think that that's, that's wild. And I'll tell you another reason why that they did that is because they're going to play a ranked team in Miami this week. And they want to keep that a good matchup. So they were never going to fall out of the top 25. All right. We'll get to that later. That's our that's our uh, pick of the week for the game we're going to talk about. I think I completely disagree. A one and one loss team to an Appalachian State Appalachian, despite them being good, they are a good football team, and they were uh, what two points away, in my opinion, from being ranked this week. Why performance based only? Why would they not be ranked over Texas A and M? They had a close loss with like 124 points total combined against North Carolina, and then you beat number six. Why is Appalachian State not ranked? Because North because Carolina – no, because North Carolina wasn't ranked in the beginning of the season anyways. Texas A&M was number six. Why is Oregon ranked number 25? They got the doors good. blown off of them it's by – It's a good-ass question. That's my next Georgia. topic. And then, the next, and then the next week they play Slippery Rock State. So my, I mean, my point exactly about Texas A&M. Who'd you play week one? We played uh, Sam Houston Sam, State. Sam Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Who is, I, well, is an FCS school, is an FCS champion school. So played, they're not played like, nobody. 
but all due not, respect, all due respect, you played a nobody for number six, Texas A&M, you played a nobody, and then you yeah. got beat by App State. Shouldn't yeah. be ranked. Shouldn't be ranked. You, you will be ranked, you know, if you p- perform and prove yourself back into the top 25. Should not be ranked right now, in my opinion, non-biasedly. No, I, all right. I'm, not, I'm not biased about it. I thought we were overranked at six. I mean, I talked about this before. We were overranked at six, having not performed well in the previous season. Um, and I think that's kind of what – I think that got to them in their head. But I don't think you can take somebody that's ranked in the top ten and just drop them completely off the map because they lose a the game, even if it's a bad loss. All right. So with that in mind – there's no all right. There's there is a I think the FPI has a 0.8% chance of Texas AM winning the West. Alabama looked potentially soft. You've still got a couple of other teams. Who runs the West right now? Is it still Alabama? No, I think Alabama has to be really concerned with what it displayed um, against Texas, which is not a good defense. I don't care. I mean, they got up. They did a great job, but they're still not a good defense. You've got two teams that we have said before that they should be concerned about. Number one being Arkansas, which they have to go to Arkansas to play. And number two being uh, Ole Miss, which I believe, which Ole Miss goes to Tuscaloosa. So they got that benefit. But lots of warning signs for Alabama, both on the defensive side and on the offensive side of the ball coming out of week one. Now we can't overreact, right? Or sorry, yeah, we can't overreact, but still, it, or week two, uh, but we still got to know that there are some red flags going off in Tuscaloosa right now. I think week five will tell everything we need to see. So week four, AM plays Arkansas. So that's going to that's gonna unravel a little bit there. Is AM the team that they think they are? Or is this going to be a dumpster fire season? And honestly, as a Razorback fan, it kind of scares me because we just lost at Appalachian State and we got to get our shit together. And that could be in Jerry world. That could be scary. Right. And then depending on, you know, AM and and Miami, all, uh, the rest of your season is coming for AM in the next two weeks. And then for me, uh, week four, when is it week? No, week five, when Alabama and Arkansas play. I think if both are four and zero undefeated, you'll see College Game Day in Fayetteville, Arkansas, yeah, and that's absolutely. gonna that's gonna tell the tale for the for the rest of the West going forward. So I can't wait for that. So okay, um, moving on. Where do you want to go? What do you want to talk about? Oh, I got one um, for you. I got one for you. Go ahead. Obviously, everybody and their mother knows Scott Frost is done. We saw it. I think we broke it first, honestly. Uh, we called it before it was actually done, but I mean, I think everybody knew it was coming. A source um, our, close to Drink and Think Nation let us know yeah, that our Frost insiders. had turned in his his uh, letter of resignation. Yeah, the the LinkedIn uh, job application was up. Um, okay, so with Scott Frost out, oh, here's something interesting too. If they would have waited one more month to fire Scott yeah. Frost, they could have saved themselves seven million dollars. That tells you one. Could you just imagine for like five seconds thinking about like 30 days is worth $7 million? One, you have that much money. And two, you think that poorly of that individual that you're willing to throw away $7 million to get his ass out of there. That is dumbfounding. Or an alternative to that is you have an athletic director 
that is so out of touch that they weren't reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. That, that they, they didn't even take that into consideration until after the paperwork had been signed. Now I'm sure it came up, but they didn't even think of the second and third order effects of the bad news statement that it would be of them being incompetent and losing out on $7 million. Yeah. Either way, that's, that's wild to me, but Scott, Scott Frost is Audi. My question to you is who are they going to hire? I've got a lot of good names that I've been thinking about last you know, day or two, whatever day it is, a couple of days. I've got a couple of dudes that I think um, I've been hearing rumors like they're going to be offered or at least looked at heavily. I think a couple of them are absolutely freaking bananas. And then I think there are a good a couple options out there. So give me one. Um, there's so the bananas one that I think has been thrown out there. Oh, please is- say it. Ur- is it. urban meyer urban meyer dude what the hell that's insane come on first off fox come on now the dude had a like his reputation was in absolute tatters of him leaving jacksonville and then you guys hire him on after like yeah, you, you need to let him cool off for a little bit that was a, well, that was a time where it's like let that dude cool off and then maybe we can hire him next season what was the alleged quote? Like, I'm the head coach. I'll kick whoever the fuck I want to kick or something like yeah. that. It's like, what? You're going to put this dude on television after all of the bad rep? I mean, like, hey, I'm all about dudes getting second chances, but in the world that we live in, like, you've seen all the pictures of old girls sitting on his lap yeah. and the toxicity in that culture down there. Wild. Plus, plus the guys, like, he's now lecturing America on, like, coaching stuff. Like, oh, as a coach, Ethics. this is what I would think. As a coach, we know what you were thinking. We got to see the pictures. We heard the quotes. Like, you're not a good dude. America knows that. Yeah. Okay. I heard that too. I think that's bananas. Not happening. What? Give, this, me, give, me, a, give me a realistic shot here. This is a realistic shot. And I think this would be uh, kind of pain me. Matt Campbell out of Iowa State. So I have been around and he is a... He's a good coach, done great things at Iowa State, but he's the kind of person that, with that personality, that can really turn things around. Yeah, I knew you were. I knew you were going to say Matt Campbell. I've got a list for you though, and Matt Campbell falls into it. I think there's four dudes that would be potentially decent candidates that they may look at. But my question is, why would they leave their current job? And that's Matt Campbell, PJ Fleck, Dave Aranda, and Zach Taylor, head coach of the Bengals. All dudes they may look at. I think. As we've talked before, Campbell's the man. P.J. Flex a great coach. I like what Dave Aranda's doing. I like him as like a coach. I like his kind of stoic demeanor. All great on paper. Why would they leave their current position? Money, okay. obviously. Yeah, you're going to get a great booster uh, organization. Obviously, Nebraska has a ton of storied history. They still have a really good following. Uh, they, I mean, they're – their fans are arguably the best fan base, most loyal fan base out there. Cause even with all the, the shit show that Nebraska football has been, they still pack the stadium. I, I would say that the Bengals coach is out there. The since he is doing too well for him to yeah, abandon why? the NFL. Yeah. I, so I think that's out. Um, I would say that Dave Aranda, that one, um, you know, it's a little intriguing to me. Uh, I think, because the Big 12 right now, while he's done great things, won a Big 12 championship at Baylor, their Big 12 is never going to be as good as the Big 10. Not even close. 
And so for May, for you could see him jumping in, in that regard. Same thing with Matt Campbell. Yeah, same thing with Matt Campbell is you're going to get more money, more following in Big Ten. But, and this always baffles me. Why leave the program you have that you've established, that you have good culture in, and you're winning to go for the potential? Now, it may be money. It may be ego. Those are probably the, the highest two on that order, or at least that I can think of, that would say I'm ready to start over with a dumpster fire. I don't know, uh, it, and especially for Dave Aranda, I think a Big 12 team can get in the college football playoffs. I think they should have last year, and especially with it expanding, now you're getting in. Now you're getting in those Big 12 teams. So, um, Here's one that I want to throw out, but I think is, and that we left off, but is an intriguing one, is Luke Fickle, right? So you're not in a non-Power 5 school. You're in a group of five school. That's going into the Big 12, right? So you're eventually going to make it into the Big 12, yada, yada. But you're not quite sure how Cincinnati is going to match up. You could still leave Cincinnati with it as a dub, right? We made it first group of five team to make the college football playoff. I've got the school to where it's recognized enough to go to the Big 12. But I'm going to go to Nebraska because I think that that's a program that I could actually get into potentially uh, turn it around type thing. Yeah. If you want to win, pay the money for the dude that has done it. So many schools will go out and try to buy the next big thing. I mean, Scott Frost is the perfect example. The dude on paper is a monster, but he he wasn't proven in the big conferences and not proven for long enough. This stuff takes time. You may slip into a perfect 13-0 and season. Um, I've got a couple that I want to hit that I think they'll really look at. I like Dave Clawson, the Wake Forest head coach. I think that's pretty reasonable. He's got the third most wins in Wake Forest history, ACC coach of the year, uh, had an 11-3 and season. They were ranked. They looked really good. That guy's an up-and-comer, and I think they will go for the up-and-comer. Who's the next big guy? I think he's probably pretty high on the list. And then, honestly, man, I did a lot of research into this. I, I think it's fascinating, like, how the, the mind process and, like, sitting down and putting pen to paper, like, who the next dude for this program and who am I going to throw, you know, $30 million, $40 million, whatever dollars at. Um, someone that you can't sleep on is Lance Leopold. That's so, Leopold. The, Leopold, Leopold, I think I said Leopold. Yeah, we talked about this it. last time. Yep, I'm sticking with it. So, um. The dude, I mean, granted D3 head coach, he has six national championships and was like 109 and six. The dude on paper is a monster. And he's obviously proven already at Kansas that he can coach something. Um, so I think that's an option. And then we can't sleep on Mickey Joseph, the new uh, Nebraska interim. He was a Nebraska quarterback. He's now, as an interim, the first black coach at Nebraska. And he was an assistant head coach for the 2019 LSU Natty team. So also wonderful on paper. And so that's a lot of reason to just keep him in the seat. So I think the rest of the season will kind of tell. But I think those are a couple of dudes they may be looking at. I wonder if the thing that's going to poison that is that Scott Frost felt the same, had the same resume other than being on the LSU coach, but he was a Nebraska player. Uh, you know, he was a Nebraska player when Nebraska was good. He was the offensive coordinator with Mariota. Yeah. Yes, you're right. And 
but I, I so I wonder if their resumes are too close that the the direct the board of directors and the AD are going to be like, you know what, this we tried this before we tried this recipe and it didn't work out. You see it all too often, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. So moving into week three, let's talk about our game of the week. And this is a hot one because it's close to home. Can we just say that it is absolute bullshit that college football or college game day is going to be at App State? It's App State against Troy. Neither team are ranked. I got it. Week three doesn't have like the slate that week one and week two had. But there are way better games out there than Troy at App State. Yeah, I don't disagree. They're showing some love to Boone. I mean, I don't disagree that maybe App State should be given some love, but the matchup is not there. I don't think that's going to be a good football game. I think Troy's about to get the break speed off of them. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's just that, – that one to me is just like that's bananas. But either way – Go ahead with who, what's your game of the week for week three. All right, so tonight we're going to talk Texas A&M and Miami. Uh, okay. Five and a half to A&M at Kyle Field over under 45 and a half. That line's moved a few times, but last I saw was 45 and a half. Um, kind of give me your initial thoughts. So I non, will tell you. Non-homer pick, give no. me. I'm going to go, I'm going to go historic, right? So okay. last, last year, last season, A&M started well, started decent, dropped uh, the Alabama, or dropped the, excuse me, dropped the Arkansas game, and then had a really disappointing, won a couple, and then had a really disappointing loss at home against a Mississippi State team that sucked. Yeah. Right? The next game was Alabama. And then AM shows up and beats Alabama. Now I got it. It's Alabama. And so you always are going to show up. Your team is always going to get up for that. But what I will say is that AM has been in this situation before. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jimbo is using that theme as a hey, look. We had we got disappointed last time. We were able to come back and get it done. This is our chance to, you know, kind of revive a season before it completely goes out down the toilet. Cause you're right. If they lose this game, it they're in trouble. So you think this is a is AM historically like a comeback team? Like, oh, we gotta get our shit together. We messed that one up, boys, and then they knock it out of the park. AM is historically a uh underestimated team because they have always been the team it just throughout their history. They've always been the team that's almost been there and never done it. And so them being number six was out of the preseason gate was already them in oh. shaky waters. They're like, we never, this is weird type thing. You know, they oh, could be there yeah. in the end of the season, but not in the beginning beginning. So I think they're more comfortable now, right? This is where they're used to, unfortunately, as an AM fan. They're used to being, you know, at either outside the top 25 or barely in it. So I think for those two reasons, that's why you're seeing Vegas give them a little bit of a, a push here. I was honestly surprised to see five and a half. I thought it would be two, three 
home field advantage at Kyle Field. I didn't think five and a half. I don't know that I'll put money on this, but I might would would lean towards Miami to cover here. To me, the big thing is when you guys are ranked or you're you're in the talk and like, are we CFP bound? To me, you had a better offense. I don't know that Haynes Keen's the dude. Um, last week, the dude threw for 97 yards. And I, Miami – no, go ahead. No, I, was, I don't think that Haynes King starts. Okay. I was going to say I think there's a good chance he gets pulled in the middle of the game. I think he'll get the start. I mean, you you'll, you know better than I do. But, yeah, I, I think there's a really reasonable chance that he does not see the end of the next week's game. Um, so where do you where do you lie, kind of non, non-homer pick here? Do you think you guys get beat or do you, you get a win here? I think that Miami has um, – it's tough. I mean, this is a tough pick. I never like picking A&M games because I've got so, emo- so much emotional baggage. Uh, I think that A&M is able to do it only strictly from the standpoint that Miami wants to be back, but they are not far removed from seasons where they were an absolute trash. And I don't know that they have fully recovered from that. Let me hit you with a few like kind of stats that stood out to me that scares me for A&M. First off, Miami has won five of their last seven road games. A&M has lost five of their six last home games. Something to consider. Now, I know playing at Kyle Field is pretty challenging. And if you look at it analytically, both of these teams are pretty close. I've seen kind of some below, uh, some above, 50-50, but pretty narrow margin there. A&M is 86th in run defense. Miami, although has not crushed it week one or two, has some glimmer of hope on the offensive side of the ball. They can get some, some yards on the ground. Tyler Van Dyke's throwing for over 70, near 75%, I want to say. I think that your run defense and your up-the-middle defense could be in trouble. If you look at last week, your guys could not get a stop. Freaking App State held the ball for over 41 minutes. That was, like, mind-boggling to me. And that's – I think that's the – you know, obviously, Jim Post way smarter as a coach and, and obviously looking at this stuff too. But, like, can you stop that? Because last week it was not happening. And then if you can't stop it and your defense is just getting the break speed off of them, then you put the ball back into Hanks King's hands and go, hey, man, go put points on the board. And then obviously, as we saw last week, that did not happen. Well, I will I will counter with this. So um, as far as Miami, who is Miami has played, they played a the they played Duquesne the first like week zero. No. Bethune Cookman. So was their their game week zero and then week one, or excuse me, week one and then week two, they played Southern Miss. And Southern Miss is Southern Miss is not a, a terrible team. And they they were neck and neck, you know, by by the end of the first half. But and AM did give up a hundred yards, over a hundred yards rushing to uh their the app state. They still only put up 17 points and they got 10 of those 17 off of two turnovers on AM's half. So while they were able to turn a clock, they were never able to turn it into points. So that for me as a, as a fan gives me some hope that while I agree our run defense is not 
is not what we would, it's certainly not as good as the past defense. That does give me a little bit of hope that at least we're able to hold them in those key situations. So what that plays out in my mind as is you stop them decently enough. They may move the ball, but they may not put enough points on the board. And then you give the ball to your quarterback who can't put that many points on the board. And if you look at the numbers as a, from a betting standpoint, um, the under for the Aggies in the last six non-conference games is five and one. And then for Miami, they've hit the under 20 times out of the last 30 road games. So everything here screams under to me. Yeah. It's like 28 and two out of their last 30. So I, I don't think I would bet the spread. I might would lean towards Miami to cover, but I think I will throw a few dollars at the under here. I don't know, man, this may be like a, a slugum fest. I honestly, I think you put the, the entire game on the Texas A&M quarterback. What's he going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And then who's it going to be in that situation? Right. Um, who, who's your backup? So we've got two, we've have uh, Max Johnson, who was the That's LSU right. starter yep. last year. Uh, who's a, who's a good quarterback and he's proven himself. And then we have a five-star uh, uh, recruit that is also there. So there's plenty of options uh, if they want to, if Jimbo wants to give somebody else another shot, my, my gut feeling is that they will, because as much as we know that his, this season is tied up in this game, so does he. And so my gut feeling is if Haynes King doesn't come out slinging like touchdown or really good drive first, first, uh, possession, I think he will start looking to somebody else. Now, how do you feel about that as like a coach, a player, um, a, an observer as far as the culture there? you think that's an appropriate time to pull a quarterback? Or do you say like, hey, man, give him time. He's young. He's, he's settling in. I mean, and it's a hard question to, to answer in, you know, college football, SEC West style play. But is two games enough to say like, hey, dude, you just lost to App State and threw for 97 yards. Get your ass on the bench. Well, well, what, well what, I, what play would you make in that situation? I think you don't just look at that game in a vacuum, right? You look at what he did in the first game. You also look at what he did in the first game, his first season, and it was very similar stuff. So really talented arm, uh, made some poor decisions. And then, you know, even last year when he started the first game before he got hurt in the second game, it was the same kind of thing. It was very uh, feast or famine. And so I think you look at those three and say, you know what, if, if I got Calzada on the bench, then I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him a shot. But if I've got somebody like Max Johnson that played in the SEC that won against A&M or, you know, a five-star that can go out there and get it done, I'm probably going to give somebody else a chance. Oh, very reasonable. All right, so I know you don't bet on the Aggies, but I think I will definitely take the under here. The more I look at it, it's like, man, that seems like a pretty good lock. 45 and a half, I normally would never bet on that in college. I don't like that. I, I like to lean towards like the 48 plus because usually those 48, 50 points, those are going to be your shootout games. And I don't, know, my, I don't have the numbers behind it, but those usually end up being complete freaking – 60 pointer games, you know. So, but I think I will throw a few dollars on the under here. Okay. All right. So, uh, another possible 
game of the week that we'll hit on briefly that I think that game day should be at is BYU at Oregon. So it's the line is Oregon minus three and a half over and under 57. This one is just bananas to me. Oregon's favored, even though they haven't beat anyone. In fact, they got the dog shit kicked out of them and then and then beat a beat out a FCS team. And BYU just beat a Big 12 champ in Baylor. So a lot of the money is going to the Cougars. Over 70% is on the Cougars and the money line. So and also BYU this season is 2-0 against the spread. So that one to me, I think that's where game day should be. Well, yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I I do agree, however, that BYU – I mean, you think BYU will take this hands down. And, uh, I, yeah, I don't think Miami – or Miami, sorry. Uh, Oregon should be even in the talk. We already know. Everybody knows how we think about Bo Nix. Yep. I, I don't think this is going to be a competition. I think BYU looked pretty good. I I think we called that game of the league week last week, BYU-Baylor, and it was – a I mean, there was some a little bit of sloppiness there, but that was a damn good game. That was hard fought yeah. football. I liked how BYU looked. So another interesting one uh, is Oklahoma at Nebraska. So will Nebraska be able to bounce back after Scott Frost end or it gets canned? This is this is really interesting to me. This opened at minus fourteen in favor of Oklahoma, obviously, but it's gone down. The total has gone down to minus eleven and a half. Really? Yeah, they're just bananas to me. I mean, and this is where I think if this was a Lincoln Riley team, this spread would be 20 plus. I don't know why it's gone down. Yeah. Uh, is that a I Mickey Joseph know. thing or is that a Venables thing? Or... I, have, I have no idea, but that one's a weird one for me. 11? Oh, I'm taking that. I'm taking that bigger than shit. All right. So this got me thinking. Let's just roll into our top three of the week, talking about shooty coaches that are fired. What is your biggest football bust coaches of all time? It can be NFL or college, not not uh, European football. So American football. Mm, I, biggest, I didn't think about that. So. Yeah, I don't know a single – literally do not know a single soccer head coach. I know like three players, period. So, all right, um, give me your number three. Who was supposed to be all hype, but they're dumpster fire and shit the bed. All right. Number three for me, and this is going to hurt you. I'm really only picking this because of you. Number three for me is Lane Kiffin. Ooh, he's got, so, the, he's got the resume. But Lane Kiffin at Tennessee. So he goes into Tennessee coming from the NFL. Goes into Tennessee and everybody's like, He's going to be the next guy. You know, he's got the charisma. He's got that personality that you like. He sticks around for one year, barely gets over 500. And then when Pete Carroll goes to the NFL, he's like, I'm outie. See ya. And then since that time, this is really why he's a huge bust. Since that time, Tennessee hasn't been competitive. That's because their program sucks. Um, I guess I didn't think about it as like biggest bust but you may have recovered kind of thing. I just took it from the mindset of like, I think you should be done coaching because you really suck. I mean, Kiffin just took an SEC West team to their first 10 win season in program history. So he's not a bust. No, Kiffin's not a bust, but the hire was a bust. 
Tennessee, That's a fair the Tennessee point. Okay. athletic I like director. That. Okay. The hire was a bust. All right. Well, here's my my homer pick of the day because this is really close to home. My number three is Chad Morris. <laughs> Most people don't even know who the fuck he is, and unless you're you know close to the SEC or an Arkansas fan, because we tried to cover up every single thing this guy did because it was a like the definition of freaking dumpster fire. But on paper, and back to my point I was saying earlier, a lot of dudes will, a lot of, a lot of schools will hire based off of your coaching tree, your pedigree, your what did you do at this FCS school or what did you do at, you know, as a no name this or I've only, I had one season, but no other big, you know, records, blah, 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 right? They, they, hire you on what you could be versus what you are. And so on paper, Chad Morris really looked good. He was like a well-renowned high school coach. He was the OC for Clemson 11 to 14 when they were kicking ass. So it's like, okay, this dude's a high flyer. We're going to bring him in. He went to SMU for three years, didn't have a great record, but he got SMU, which was not, had not been a great program better each year. So like, okay, well you, you were the OC for a kick-ass Clemson team you got better at SMU and you're going to be this change to Arkansas's program that has been big body linemen that just grunt and push each other around. You're going to be that high flying offense. My God, this freaking dude. It was the first 10 loss season in Arkansas program history. First one ever, 10 losses. Thanks buddy. You're freaking stud. Uh, He got fired mid-year. He never won an SEC game, and now he's currently an analyst at Southern Florida where he belongs. So number three, thanks, Chad Morris. You put us in the freaking dark ages for two years, and thank God for Sam Pittman. Little pig. Yeah, yeah, those were – I mean, it, it's, isn't it incredible how having a terrible coach that really sets a program back, how long it can take to recover from that, you know, just from that piece. On that point, I, th- I really do think this is fascinating. And I had a conversation about this earlier, actually. It's like how you can be a good coach. And, and to your point with Kiffin at Tennessee, how you can be a good coach but not have a good fit. And, like, you look at Urban Meyer, you look at, honestly, even Scott Frost. Was it a Scott Frost problem or was it a match at Nebraska? Because the dude had a 13-0 and season. Like, you don't stumble upon a 13-0 and season and beat a decent Auburn Tigers team in a bowl game, right? Like, you can coach somewhat, but is it a culture? Is it, you know, the environment, the city, the school? Is it recruiting? You know, what develops that boom or bust kind of thing with a coach at a school? I, I find it fascinating. I really do. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, and you've seen programs that just can't recover from it. And Tennessee would be one of them. They still have not recovered from it. They have not been able to replace a coach that's been able to set a culture in Tennessee. And they're, they're hoping that Heupel is the guy, but maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We'll find out. Um, my next one is so going to the NFL, Nick Saban at Miami. Oh, hot right? take. Oh, I so, love it. So it's this is what I say. He wasn't bad, right? So he had played two seasons in Miami, almost made the playoffs both seasons, but had like 
really bad patches of the season where he lost four or five games in a row and then was able to rally and come back. So he wouldn't be a bust necessarily if after that he didn't go to Alabama and run a dynasty for a decade and a half. You know, like seeing that and then looking back at Miami, it's like that was a bust. Higher wise, like why couldn't Nick Saban or why couldn't Miami get Nick Saban to do the things that he did at Alabama? I think there is something to point out about the jump from, or not the jump necessarily, but the difference between the NFL and college football. And there is a huge difference. And so there's a, there's a, not even on the field, like leadership personalities. Like, yes, you've got younger kids versus professional athletes that make millions of dollars, but it's also, I don't, I recruit these guys versus draft these guys. I mean, it's a different world. You play the same sport, but that is a completely different world. And some dudes will do better in one. Like personally, like I'm not, I'm a, I would lean on the leadership side and the recruiting side versus running the books. Right. I don't want to deal with that shit. I don't want to deal with the money. I want to go tell Dave that you should come play for my school because we're going to kick ass and take names. And then on the field, I show you, you know, inspire you, lead you, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I would not want to go to the NFL. So, all right. But number two, somebody that's not going to the NFL anytime soon, and that's Scott Frost. So (laughs) yes, as, as we've discussed him, he's kind of the hot topic of the week. Obviously he was on my mind and maybe why he made this list. But honestly, if you look at it and you take a step back, this dude deserves to be on this list for a number of reasons. He was the golden child. This dude yep. just was Nebraska to its core. Like he, he went from on fire to dumpster fire in one season. And then for the last three seasons at Nebraska, just did not just fizzled the hell out. So this dude played quarterback at Nebraska, has a shared 97 national championship with Nebraska, goes, um, like we said earlier, was the OC for the Heisman Trophy winner, Mariota, in 2014. Um, and then goes to UCF. Has one, His first year wasn't that great. Goes 13-0. Has a self-proclaimed national championship, which yeah. of note, that is the NCAA put that in the record books as a national championship. I don't know how that happened, but if you look it up, it is like acknowledged as a national championship. That beats the shit out of me, dude. I I don't know. But on paper, this dude looks like a god, right? Like Nebraska boy, corn fed. I beat Peyton Manning in the 98 Orange Bowl. Like I'm the shit. This dude has a perfect season at UCF. Get him up here. I don't care how much it costs. And he shit the bed. And yeah. and I mean, not even close. Not even like Carball. We're going to give you a couple seasons to work it out, man. It was bad. And so yeah. I definitely think that is a complete bust. I don't know where he'll go. Maybe he'll go into like uh, Nick Saban's rehab program. I don't know, but it damn sure ain't the state of Nebraska. Yeah. 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 He might, I didn't have him on my list, but going through that, um, like his pedigree leading up to it, that's a great, like that might be one of the biggest busts of all time. As far as, as far as that goes, obviously, because we put it on our list. Which Um, means it matters. That's right. Because what drink and think says is the truth you can yeah. take it to the bank except for maybe our bets those are a little don't eh. yeah that bank's empty we're both yeah. one. that's something yeah uh so my number one bet uh is 
number one bet. My number one coach of busts is Rich Rodriguez, Michigan. So um, they take him from <laughs> West Virginia, four Big East titles in West Virginia in seven seasons. Mm. They take him, they hire him. He is going to bring Michigan to the promised land, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten. In fact, he, in his three years at, uh, in his three years or three seasons at Michigan, only won six Big Ten games and only had one winning season, one bowl game, which he lost. And that, again, going back to what we said earlier, coaches that put their, their team in a hole coming out of Rich Rod. Michigan lost its step, and they're just coming back now. All right. I like that. I mean, we could look at so many coaches in that list. I mean, about Michigan, like Harbaugh could have easily been on this list if they would have fired him a year or two ago. You know, like how many coaches would have developed and how many coaches just weren't right for that job? I mean, we'll never know, obviously, but Michigan's a hard place to play, but they expect a lot and – I, I honestly thought Harbaugh was done. But, yeah, that's a good pick. Um, so, my number one is the guy who used to beat up on Michigan a lot, and that's Urban Meyer. To me, this was a no-brainer. This dude was and is one of the best college coaches probably of all time. He's got three FBS national championships, play, or coached at what Utah, Florida, and then, you know, the savior of Ohio State decides to leave, goes to Jacksonville, and then night and day, I'm leaving a great program. I've got three natties, and now I'm telling kids potentially to, you know, fuck you, I'll kick whoever I want, getting teenage lap dance, yada, yada. Like, is, was it a mental thing? Like, did he, like, have a midlife crisis or some shit? Was there a big gap between the NFL and college? Was he, you know, I don't, I don't know, but I will tell you that, um, his tenure at Jacksonville ties Lou Holtz and Bobby Petrino for the shortest record as an NFL head coach. And that was, he went two and 11. So you go from like the Mount Rushmore of college coaches potentially to your Audi in 13 games. Like that's, I mean, that is the definition of us. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. And which is why Fox should have never hired him as an analyst because when, when that kind of craziness comes out, and then you got to remember, how, would, how did he leave Ohio State? It was by basically faking or faking that he was having heart attacks. Like, it's Air too quotes. stressful. It's too stressful for me. Uh, you know, I'm having all these heart issues. I got to step away from coaching and go to the NFL. Doctor's orders, tequila shots and live dances, fix the heart ticker right up. There you go. All right, since I went first last time with my beer, what are you drinking for your second beer here on Drink It Thing? Well, I haven't got you all worked up in a while, so I thought I'd break out a cream ale for the mouthfeel. I've, mm. I've got a public house uh, cream ale. It's American cream ale, 5.3%. And this beer is delicious. And I'm going to have another one. And I'm going to tell you about it. So um, do, you like, do you like cream ales? 
Yeah, yeah, they're all right. I mean, they're it's I'm, I like I feel like cream ales are like something you need to drink like when it's colder out, like something that I want to sip on. It's not something that I'm going to like crush, you know, when it's like hot as shit and you're just like trying to like cool your core temperature. So I, I feel like it's seasonal to me. Um, I don't cream ales are like light and crushable to me if they're done right. Not like I'm not thinking like a like a thick ass beer, like cream ales are usually 5%. Like think of that. Um, did you have that vanilla cream ale I made? Yeah. 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 That's a cream ale. And all that is the, the reason that it's a cream ale usually is it has like, like corn or maize in it. Like it has like flaked maize in it. It usually just gives it like a, a creamier mouthfeel. So now I know I, I, don't know. I, 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 I smashed this. I agree. It's really good. But I, for like when it's hot out, cream ales are just one of those things. It's like, I just don't really want to drink a cream ale. Cream ales are like, I'm going to drink it maybe at night. Like when I picture cream ales, I think drinking it at night when it's a little bit chilly out, um, <laughs> something I want to sip and I'd like really enjoy. So, yeah. I just saw your hamster take a nap and the, the wheel stopped. And I was like, where the hell did he go? mentally dave's gone and then my phone vibrated it was like dave checked in on untapped <laughs> i wanted to Hold grade it. my beer <clears throat> all right so let me hear it i'm gonna sip my uh winter cream ale see it even says winter see no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm making just proves my you. point oh damn it <laughs> hoping it actually said winter um all right so Last week, I had a regular beer and a sour. This week, I'm repeating that process. So I've got a regular beer, and this is a sour. This is called Triple Berry Smash by Maine and Mill Brewing Company. Are you allowed to say the word repeat? I figure that's just not allowed in your normal conversation, to be honest. I can say it when it's not on the radio. But that brings me to an interesting story. So the other day, my kids were running around the house with walkie talkies and they were saying, my son was saying, repeat, blah, 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 like on the walkie talkie. And I had this whole spiel. I was like, you know, like yelling at my kids, like, you don't say repeat on the radio. You say, say again. And the reason, folks, <laughs> why that is for those that aren't in the military is for an artillery and uh, when you say repeat on the radio, that means to shoot whatever was your last target that you shot. So people say that can't hear something on the radio, they'll say repeat. And then if I'm an artilleryman, then that means, okay, go to your last target and shoot those same coordinates again. So you always say, say again, instead of repeat. But since I'm not on the radio, I'm on a podcast, I will say that I am repeating with my thing, triple berry smash. It's very fruity. It's a good sour. I'm not a huge sour fan, but it's not like overly like tart. I really enjoyed it. So good job, main and mill with your classic series, triple berry smash. You sound like you're on a fucking radio commercial. Triple I've berry always, smash. People have always, Available I've at your local said, Wegmans. Triple Berry Smash. People have always said I have a face for radio. So maybe that's <clears> my <throat> true calling. 
Bass for radio. Ah, good joke, Dave. Zach, just give me the big middle finger over here. All right. And transitioning extremely smoothly from drinking beer. Back to sports. All right. All right. NFL week two. All right. Before we get into week two, what were your thoughts from week one? First week in the NFL. Well, last week we said uh, college kickers are amazingly bad. And honestly, um, when it comes to being clutch, the NFL kickers are not much better. I mean, <clears throat> dude, there was – it was bananas. How many kicks? Like Steelers, Bengals. Like you had the, the Fitzpatrick block. Then you had the freaking Boswell, like, doink off the pole. Dude, I think I heard that in Arkansas. It hit so freaking solid. McPherson misses a 29-yard chip shot. This dude, like – Oh, Big Mac, like he's maybe going to go down as one of the best kickers out there and like miss the 29-yard chip shot. A lot of things were in play, a lot of factors, the snapper, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he misses a 29-yard chip shot after making the longest Bengals field goal in their history. Yeah, and then on top of that, you got to go over to the Colts Texans, right? Colts should have won this. Oh, man, no we got we to gotta go there. And it's then, a sad day. Dude, and then freaking the Colts kicker in overtime has like a 30-yard field goal, and he shanks it. It's like like I, I specifically put that game in a teaser because I was like, oh, the Colts, they should be all fine. They should be fine against the Texans, but I'll give them a teaser anyway. So it's a pick them game. Pick them game, folks. And they fucking tied. And that was just, if you could summarize Dave's weekend, it was that game. Ags lose, just embarrassing. I got this, like, can't lose parlay teaser that everything else hits, and the fucking Colts kicker can't hit a 30-yard field goal. Yeah, so uh, a person that's near and dear to my heart because, you know, I love – Rodrigo is a, a spirit animal of a leg, misses a 42-yarder. And as of this week, they let him go. Yep. That's very that's very sad to me. I like this dude. I like, I like his attitude. I like his fire. Uh, I like his glasses. I thought he was a badass at Georgia before he even made it to the league. The dude's just full of like badass quotes and ah oh, man, like I hope I don't know. I don't want to see him go. I liked him. I liked him a lot. But yeah, I mean, and, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. Um, you had Falcon Saints, coup blocked in the final seconds. And these aren't all on the the kicker, right? There's blocks, there's like we said, the the snapper, the holder, but um coup blocked in the final seconds for Atlanta. The the dirty birds, man, like they will shit the bed better than anyone else out there. Honestly, coup may be one of their better like shining stars on that team. That may be the only glimmer of hope that freaking the Falcons have. Tale as old as time. Falcons shit in the bed in the fourth quarter. My God, what is up with that franchise? Yeah. Um, actually, speaking of the Falcons, have you heard of the uh, – what the hell is it called? Um, the bird gauntlet. 
I have not. Okay. The bird gauntlet. No team has ever defeated all five birds in the same year. Ah, uh, is so that you've no? Got, is that because they aren't scheduled every year? Well, I'm sure that's that, I'm sure that's a thing. But at baseline, no team has ever done it. So the state the Saints have a chance to do it. So they just they just took out the dirty birds. They've got uh, let's look Seahawks week five, Cardinals seven, Ravens nine. I think they get the dirty birds again, and then they get Eagles in seventeen. So they have a chance wow. to do it. I don't think they do it. Do you? I mean, that's a tough schedule. I mean, I think the Cardinals can beat them. I think the Ravens can beat them. I mean, hell, I think the Eagles looked really good. Honestly, I think they're on the up and up too. So no, I don't think they do. But it's cool that they're one and zero on the road to the the glory of the bird gauntlet. That is cool. I had not heard of that before, but that's a pretty cool stat. Um, I don't think they do it either. I think the Ravens, the Eagles were scored a lot of points, but they also let the Lions score 35 on them. Oh, their defense, their defense is ass. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, So yeah, you gotta, you gotta fix that and then, you know, put the season on Jalen Hurts, which I think is a dude. I've, I've talked a lot about Jalen Hurts. I really like him. But, yeah, and then to round it out, you had uh, Giants-Titans. Randy Bullock misses one with four seconds left on the clock. Giants win 21-20. And then did you watch uh, the Seahawks-Broncos? I mean, like, there was a lot of chatter on the internet about McManus. And, like, I paid a man $256 million to come in and be my new franchise quarterback, and I'm going to put the game on the line on a 64-yard kick from McManus, which would have tied the second-longest kick ever recorded in the NFL over letting Rush try to get a first down. And then not to mention the whole timeout debacle. I mean, that was a shit show. Yeah, that was clearly a coach, first-time coach, right? First-time head coach, excuse me. And that was clearly just chalk it up to game mismanagement. And then two goal line fumbles for the Seahawks. Like it was bananas, dude. Shouldn't I think have that, even been close. I want to say that hadn't happened since like 1980 or something like that, that that's happened, which is honestly appalling that that's ever happened. Two fumbles on the one yard line. Yeah, that was a sloppy ass game. But I tell you what wasn't sloppy and who looked damn good to me, Geno Smith. Yeah, it's like, and, and this is like the, you know, it's like the Ryan Fitz magic, you know, like thing. Like he has his moments where it's like, man, Remember when this guy threw for eight touchdowns at West Virginia, yeah. like in 1974? And, uh, yeah, Gino was out there. That was before he knocked broke a dude's jaw. Do you, do you see his quote? Oh, I don't have it. I don't have it. In it was front something of me. about haters, but I don't listen to them. No, they, like that. no they, they wrote you off. And he's like, yeah, they may have written me off, but I didn't write back or something. I thought I, I was fired. It, dude. Yeah. 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 Uh, Gino's um, a man. Dude, he, he, he threw for 82 and some change percent last week. Now was second in the NFL. He looked good to me. I was a big fan. I can't wait to see what they do going forward. Um, but yeah, he threw 82 and, and some change, which was number two behind crickets. I'm going to say, crickets. hold on, hold on. 80, 82%. Okay. So we're going for percentage, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I threw X out of X attempts, which equals. 82.1%. Herbert. Who, th- who threw? Josh Allen, baby. Come on. Let's talk about the Bills. Known. I should have known. You should have known. You should have oh known. God. They, they, they dominated. Okay. 
just beat the brakes off of the of the reigning Super Bowl champions. But there is the curse, right? There is the curse that the Super Bowl champion week one loses the rematch. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But I'll tell you this, and I thought this was a super interesting fact. Um, Peter King has predicted the last four Super Bowl champions. Guess who he has predicted this year to be the Super Bowl champion? Dallas Cowboys. Yep, nailed it. Now, though, again, we, we, we can get into that, too. That's a dumpster fire in itself. <sighs> the, Bills, the Bills look good. The Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. Josh Allen's a stud, 17. I, I mean, they look good, man. They, they beat the hell. At, and I don't know if they look that damn good or the Rams look that damn bad. I don't know. But that was not the game that I tuned in on a Thursday night to watch. It was one-sided all day. Yeah, the Josh Allen stiff arm was definitely like quintessential what the Bills like I think team mentality is. Absolutely. I will say this, like if you could summarize week one, it is this is why we're supposed to have preseason games, question mark. Right. Because like penalties and missed kicks and offenses that aren't clicking, like this is the this is we're supposed to like iron these kinks out in the preseason, but the preseason has turned into tryouts. Right. So now we're ironing it out in week one. Did you have offenses that like starters never touched the field, like whole offenses and shit. I mean, like Russ, like that was definitely the case with Russell Wilson last week. I mean, you could see it. Um, And that's, they're not the only offense that looked like that, but the bills looked good. Uh, I liked I like the stiff arm. I also like the reach out touchdown. I saw like a meme of of uh, the original Space Jam or Michael Jordan's like Stretch Armstrong from the half nice. court, and it had like Josh Allen reaching from the three. They look good, man. I'm I think this is the year. So, um, but let's just assume that maybe the Bills look the best. What other team looked really good to you? Um, obviously the Chiefs. I mean the Chiefs has yep. to come up there, right? They just you know, were they? How were they going to perform without Tyreek Hill? Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Not even he, close. Mahomes is a monster, dude. I, if you if you're a kid that wants to be a quarterback or or wants to be an athlete and play football, just watch the guy. He's you know, he's not the most mechanical guy. Like you're not like, hey, this is how you learn to play football. I'm not going to drop back. I'm very robotic in how I deliver. You know. He doesn't look like the Peyton Mannings. This dude is throwing, running left, throwing right, cross body, this and that. I mean, it is spectacular. Like that, he had that one play last year where he, like, he literally threw like a 25 yard pass or something and he was like vertical, like it was completely like the, ass sideways. It was like, like the Peyton, like the Madden glitch type. He's yeah, 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 yeah. Going backwards. Arm just yeah. Go, yeah. It was freaky, but yeah, they 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 did not miss a single step, man. I mean, he's found some other targets. Obviously, he's got his one and only faithful tight end that you know that connection's still there. And that dude, he he's going to go down as one of the best tight ends of all time. Not not really. I I always draft him, but I don't know how I feel about him. He just kind of doesn't. He gives me weird vibes looking at Kelsey. I don't know, but he's a freaking stud on the field and him and Mahomes haven't missed a beat man and then they've yeah. got some uh some some other dudes that are growing 
very quickly. Uh, oh shit, what's his name? Sky Moore. Sky Moore looked great, dude. Like seeing some minutes already and performing. The Chiefs look great. I completely agree. Anybody else from from your standpoint that stood out? I liked. Um, there was a couple teams I liked. I mean, I like. I think Herbert looked really good. Yeah. Um, but I I'm, I think they were expected to look good. I mean, I think you have to talk about Miami. Um, yeah. There was a ton of you know, loom in the sky about Tua and can Tua and Cheetah get it done. And then, you know, you've got new coach down there. They look phenomenal. I think, I think you watch Miami this year. And then I think um, Minnesota looked pretty good. Now, was that yeah. a, a, was that a bad new England team? Maybe new England's not always hot out of the gate. That's pretty historical for them, but Minnesota looked good. Um, Jefferson's a freak dude dude this dude had more receiving yards than green bay had offensive yards that's bad in the first half that's bad went for nine receptions 184 two touchdowns yeah it is it's insane and not only did they have offensive weapons on the receiver side yeah dalvin cook and he looks pretty good as well yeah so i i think you watch i think you watch minnesota those are those are my two teams that really kind of stood out to me in week one that you know maybe not were supposed to as much. Yeah. All right. So week two, game of the week for drink and think is that's a weak ass drum roll. Um, let's go Green Bay Bears. Okay. There's a like lot it. to unpack here. Um, you've got nine and a half line Green Bay with uh, over under 42 and a half. I mean, I think the elephant in the room is the Packers look like shit. Can we just say that this line is absolute bananagrams to me? Like, I got it. Chicago and Green Bay, Chicago has a terrible record recently. But Chicago beats San Francisco, tough team in really shitty conditions, and then they're down by almost a touchdown and a field goal to a team that scored seven fucking points in week one? This kind of makes me think of, like, what we were talking about earlier. Why is A&M still ranked? And it's based off of, like, pedigree and where we think you're supposed to be, maybe where you are actually are. Um, yeah, Packers look like shit to me. But keep in mind – they look like shit game one last year, and they ended up being the NFC's number one seed in the playoffs. So, and a lot of that obviously is on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. So, there's a ton of stats to unpack here. I don't know. I don't, I don't really like the line. Honestly, you may take the Bears to cover here. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm scared to take the Bears to cover here. And this I agree. Is I agree, dude. I don't like it. I don't like it. Now, the money right now, the money is on the Bears. So um, they're pulling in about 60% of the bets, about almost 70% of the money right now to cover this. Uh, or excuse me, switch that around. The money's on Green Bay, excuse me. And the, the money is on the under right now. I like and the under. I like the under. This is, this is why the last time the Bears beat the Packers at Lambeau 2015. Oh, 
The last time the Bears beat the Packers fucking period? 2018. When Aaron Rodgers last year came in and he won the game with that scramble in the end zone and he looked at Soldier Field and he put the like, the like Superman like belt on and said, I fucking own you. That's because he does. He does. He does. He owns the Bears. I completely agree with that. But the big question for me is the offensive production. I mean, was it was it week one jitters, or is it truly like I don't have Devontae Adams? Like Aaron Rodgers went, what, 22 for 34, only through 195 yards on the ground, and A.J. Dillon, five for 45. Offensive production was garbage. Yeah, and sacked five times. Rodgers was sacked five times against a defense that last year was ranked bottom eight in defensive production. And, pre- and rushing the passer. Going into that game, the Bears game last week, they were literally dead last in, like, power index. Bottom of the barrel. And then, so, yeah, maybe they sneak out a win. Are the Bears good? Are the Packers bad? I don't know. The Bears are 3-7 and seven against the spread in their last 10 games. Three and uh, – yeah, 3-7. and 3-7. and seven. So – uh, and that's not to mention that the Packers are missing two like stud offensive linemen in uh, Bacatieri and Jenkins. I hope I didn't butcher that. Probably did. Um, right. Two yeah, offensive I- linemen. Aaron Rodgers is not looking like himself. No offensive production. I mean, this screams under to me, but this also screams like hold the hold the phone. Was the Rodgers? Um, Devontae Adams' connection that big? Are they in trouble? Is Green Bay in hot water? I mean, history tells us that Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. They're not in hot water. They'll be fine. But And then, you know, we lie so heavily on past experiences to go, there's no freaking way the Bears are beating Green Bay this year with Aaron Rodgers really hunting a Super Bowl. No way. But, dude, I mean, it's it's scary when you look at the – offensive side of the ball for Green Bay right now without thinking about Aaron Rodgers in a bubble. Yeah, I I totally agree. And think about the storylines, right? Green Bay had the Devontae Adams trade, like you said. Out the gate, get blown out by arch rival number one, Minnesota. And then at home, get beat by arch rival number two, Chicago Bears. And then how long after that is Aaron Rodgers, who says he's about ready to hang it up? He's like, dude, I've been sacked 15 times in four games. Fucking done. Hey, interesting stat fact, not to change it, because I don't I don't want to end here. Joe Burrow's been sacked 24 times in his last four games. Yeah. I mean that's also bananas. Yeah. This God That's bless terrible. Joe Burrow being able to put up with that offensive line. That is, I mean, honestly, they have, they can contend for the Super Bowl. But I mean, those, the fucking defenders are parked in the backfield within about a half second of the snap. And the same thing with Green Bay. Like Aaron Rodgers, the only thing he could throw was outs and slants and dump offs to the running back because after that, his ass is on the grass. 
And again, I mean, you're missing two of your offensive linemen that are integral to your offensive line. So, you know, does the Bears defense hit them quick? Yeah. So, and then you take out, you've got a, you know, you've got a new quarterback on the Bears side, and then you've got a quarterback that's great, but being pressured like a mother trucker on the Packers side. I mean, that screams under to me. I think it's going to be a good game. I think it's going to be a matchup. And I don't really – it's like, oh, what the hell? You know, your your feelings are telling you one thing, but the numbers are kind of telling you another. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to this matchup. It's also a Sunday night matchup, which is great. Two-storied franchises. It's made, there's a chance of rain uh, in Lambeau. That'd be great, yeah. Which is just like, like just hard nose, punch people in the mouth, nine to six like type right. football. Yeah. Somehow it snows, it's sleeting, you know, like falls here, it's starting to get cold. Like that's, that's football, baby. That's, I love it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the game, but like I said, I, I may bet the under, I'm kind of leaning toward it, but I don't know that I'm going to bet on this game, but I do know what I'm going to bet on. So let's get into uh picks of the week. Um, I feel that we owe it to people to let them know that we are. Oh, and one goose egg to one. We, we both uh, shat the bed on last week's pick. Joey Burrow's offensive line let me down. Um, even if McPherson hit that kick and they won, I still would have lost because I had him. I think it was uh, – Minus seven. The spread. Well, yeah, sadly, it was a touchdown. You're right. It was a touchdown. It wasn't even close. I thought it was going to be a blowout. So I'm 0-1, but I'm going to be 1-1 next week. And let me tell you why. As much as you don't want college game day to be in Boone, they're going to Boone, baby. And the line is App State minus 12. They're coming off of beating number six, Texas A&M, college game day in Boone. They've already sold out the stadium. The Mountaineers are about to beat the brakes off of Troy. I'm hammering that. They're going to be well beyond 12, and I'm going to make $3.86. Let's go. Uh, no, I like it. Uh, I will also do a college football pick and I'm going to go BYU money line BYU at Oregon. I have no faith in Bo Nix. I have no faith in Oregon. I think it's a hard fought game in Eugene, but I think BYU gets it done and they are starting to become razor head as a real threat out there in the West and you're guess who guess who's going to play BYU in freaking Utah later on this season. What's the numbers on that? What's the, what's the odds? So it's plus three and a half right now is the line. Um, but if you take BYU money line, it's plus plus one thirty-seven. That's not terrible. I think that's a reasonable bet. I think BYU wins as well. I mean, I it's a pick 'em game. They're only given three and a half because they're playing in Eugene. I think BYU's the better team. Oregon is completely unproven. They have a quarterback that is not my favorite. BYU looked pretty good. They played some smash mouth football. They've got a decent offense, got a decent quarterback. I, I like that pick all day. Yep. All right. So there it is, folks give you all the tools you need, right? All the tools you need in life to be successful. Some great bets, breaking down what happened last week and what's coming up in the next week. 
But what about a safety brief? Fuck right. safety brief. So we Remember know that, that video. We, yeah, dude. Yeah, I haven't listened. About, I haven't watched that. What about special, what about special forces? Fuck special forces. <laughs> that was back when we were in. Like, yeah, we were. Yeah, young. Oh, young bucks still missing bets. <laughs> All right, I'm going safety brief of the week. Hey, uh, eye care is important, folks. Go see your ophthalmologist, optometrist. And if you need glasses, they're important to your vision because it doesn't matter how thick they are. If the prescription's not right, you're still going to shank field goals and get dropped from the Colts. Rodrigo's about four inches thick. Some bitch is now jobless. I got, I got one thing and a job, and I'm all out of a job. <laughs> yeah, we'll see where the other tail is off after he doesn't have a paycheck. That's um, right. I like the dude, but yeah. He gone. All right, just all right. like we gone. All right, we'll see you next week. All right, later, bro. Peace.